The second spring practice is in the books, and we react now. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns. Everything you need to know from the second spring practice updates and reactions for every position group on the offense and the defense. Plus, this Texas men's basketball team gets their tournament action kicked off tonight against the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the second round of the Big 12 tournament. We preview that game, all of that and more on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We're two spring practices down for the Longhorns, 13 more to go until we get to the spring, the orange and white game on April 15th or the spring game otherwise known. So for the second spring practice, as we did with the first spring practice, and as we did last year, we're going through each position group updates and reactions to those updates. Let's start with the quarterback room. And early on as a whole, the quarterbacks were described as not being on point in the viewing window in terms of routes on air. A.J. Milwee and Steve Sarkeesian got on them a little bit. Those routes on air improved in terms of the throws from the quarterbacks. Quinn Ewers, was described as being on point in the viewing window with his throws and showed great timing and chemistry with his receivers. I mentioned a piece that Ian Boyd wrote a few weeks ago that we reacted to on this podcast. And one of the things that Ian Boyd said that Quinn Ewers needed to do to take the next step next year was improve his timing and chemistry with his receivers through two spring practices. We've seen that specifically with Xavier Worthy. He overthrew a few deep shots in the viewing window, but did have a perfect deep throw to Jordan Whittington over Jade Barron. It was described as one of the best throws of the day. Everybody around Quinn Ewers, all sources are saying he looks ready. He just looks different. He's poised for a big year. Arch Manning is not 6'4". Right? He looks like he's 6'5", 6'5 and a half, could be touching 6'6". I would say he looks like baby Andrew Luck, but we could just stay in the bloodline and say he looks like Peyton Manning. He missed a few throws high. That's very typical for young quarterbacks. I don't know what it is, but young quarterbacks miss high. We saw that with Quinn Ewers last year, especially in the Oklahoma State game where everything was high when he had 30 incompletions. But he missed a few throws high in the practice. Arch did. I think he got that cleaned up throughout the practice. He was described as being very sharp in the intermediate game, middle of the field, and on outbreaking routes. Quinn Ewers was great on outbreaking routes as well. Quinn and Arch were both described as still needing some development, but definitely made several NFL throws. And they are night and day between the rest of the quarterback room. I shouldn't say that. That makes it sound bad. But there's a clear difference between Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning, and then everybody else in the room with Malik Murphy not participating. I guess we shouldn't be surprised about that, you know, comparing two number one overall recruits in their class to wherever Charles Wright was in his recruiting class. But it's still, you know, a welcome sight to see that Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers, at least through two spring practices, are looking the part. Once again, Malik Murphy did not participate. Arch Manning is your quarterback, too. In the running back room, all of the running backs were described as having a really good day, all received praise from Coach Deshar Choice, but it wasn't just the running back drills where they excelled. They went one-on-one with the linebackers in pass-catching drills. Spoiler alert, the running backs won those drills. I got to give some grace to the linebackers. It is hard when you're covering the whole field. You can't get your, you know, you can't get your hands on the receiver or running back in this case. And he can go any direction and you're kind of just reacting to what you think he's about to do. 
it's tough, but it is a competition. The running backs win that competition. We've talked about Savion Red in a Debo Samuel, you know, Keelan Robinson type utility role, but all sources and people around the program are saying this is somebody who has the physicality and the toughness of a running back. This is somebody that could carry the ball, you know, 15 times in a football game throughout the course of the season and be all right. So however they utilize him, he's a special playmaker that Sark is going to give opposing defenses nightmares with. But in terms of the receiving drills, he was mentioned as spinning Jet Bush around on an angle route. Cedric Baxter, they mentioned him as looking like a third-year vet. We've talked about him already weighing right now with Bijan and Roshan just weighed in at the combine after three and four years in the co- uh, in college, respectively. And he weighs what they weigh right now, already a big-body running back. But he's fluid as well, right? He had David Bender multiple steps behind on the out route where he got to the middle of the field, stemmed him inside. David Bender went inside, and then Cedric Baxter went back outside and then caught a pass. And then Jaden Blue has been described as being the most explosive running back uh, in the room. I think he's our biggest home run hitter in terms of a play-to-play basis in the running back room. And he had one rep in the pass catching drills where he had Jalen Ford, All-American Jalen Ford, reaching for air i know a lot of people think this running back room will take a huge step back losing b john robinson and roshan johnson and obviously that makes a lot of sense but there's a lot of talent in this running back room i'm not so sure that that's the case when you get to the wide receivers jonte cook has been the superstar of spring practice thus far you cannot watch a video you cannot read a practice report you cannot read a tweet about practice that doesn't mention how impressive jonte cook has been and the one word that i'm repeatedly seeing is just smooth right he is so technically sound as a receiver i said that coming out of this 2023 class i thought from what i saw that he was the best route runner in the class and very early on might be the best route runner on the texas football team if not right by right behind xavier worthy who in my opinion is an underrated route runner but when you talk about jonte cook his instincts at the position his ability to run routes at the position he has elite footwork his ability to get off the line of scrimmage and win with his release off of press coverage he's an explosive athlete has short area quickness has long speed strong hands it's been a while since we've had a playmaker at the 40 acres like Jonte Cook at the wide receiver position and then on top of everything I just mentioned he has that alpha dog number one receiver type mentality so I can't wait to see him this year I said if he had a strong spring practice he would compete for 35 to 50 catches this year clearly he's trying to one up that but I just cannot wait to see him at the 40 acres on the football field, because like I said, it's been a while since we've had a playmaker like Jonte Cook at that position. And that includes Xavier Worthy. Speaking of Xavier Worthy, him and Jordan Whittington look great on the field and are carrying themselves like professionals off the field. We mentioned in the first practice, they were the first two on the field. Not sure if that was the case in the second practice, but Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington both looked explosive on the field and all sources are saying off the field, they're carrying themselves like two people who expect to be in the National Football League next year. So that's great for two of our biggest playmakers on this football team. A.D. Mitchell looks physically different from everybody else. That's what all reports are saying. And he's very fluid for his size. I remember when we first got A.D. Mitchell, I compared a play where in his first year, true freshman year, A.D. Mitchell had a whip route against Auburn. And this year against Iowa State, Xavier Worthy had a whip route, that game-winning whip route against Iowa State. And I said that A.D. Mitchell's whip route and Xavier Worthy's whip route looked almost identical. The difference is Xavier Worthy's like 5'11", 170, and A.D. Mitchell is like 6'3", 6'4", 220. So his ability to be fluid at that size and break down defenders at that size while also being a big 
50-50, you know, contested jump ball receiver is going to bode really well for this Texas offense on the outside. It's going to bode really well for Quinn Ewers, who was missing that big physical type receiver last year when Isaiah Nayor tore his ACL in the tight end room. JT Sanders, of course, is the class of that room. I think at the end of the year, we'll be talking about him competing for the Mackey Award with Brock Bowers, but he's in great shape, right? He looks the part physically. He's very confident, which you want to see from all of your players, not just JT Sanders. And he looked great in O-line slash tight end combo blocking drills. So he's doing well in terms of blocking proficiency, which we saw last year, which kind of surprised all of us how good he was as a blocker and then quick and smooth as a route runner. One of the best tight ends in the country. I expect him to have an even better year than he did last year with Quinn Ewers improvement and development. In terms of the offensive line, the first team and second team offensive lines were the same. First team, Kelvin Banks, Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, DJ Campbell and Christian Jones. The offensive line was said to be working on duo blocks a lot. So you're kind of double team blocking and then one of those blockers is going to get to the second level. If you remember the Baylor game where they ran the ball 22 straight times at the end of the game, that's almost exclusively what they went to, those duo blocks, right? The double team block at the line of scrimmage, and then one of those blockers gets to the second level to open up space for the running back. In terms of offensive linemen, DJ Campbell and Peyton Kirkland were two names that stood out. So in his first two spring practices, Peyton Kirkland has been mentioned individually as a standout with Cole Hudson missing the entire spring. It's good to see DJ Campbell getting rave reviews as well. We got some more one-on-ones, and it looks like not aside from the running backs and the linebackers, this is DBs, tight ends, and wide receivers. And in the first day, it looked like the wide receivers and tight ends got the better of the DBs. DBs came back in the second day <laughs> and got the better of the wide receivers and the tight ends. So Keaton Crawford won a rep against JT Sanders. It's not all of them, just a few of them I picked out. Keaton Crawford won a rep against JT Sanders. Now, they said JT Sanders couldn't find the ball. I don't know if that's necessarily a win for Keaton Crawford, but you know how DBs think anytime the receiver doesn't catch the ball, it's a win for them, even if it's overthrown. So shout out Keaton Crawford, right? Ryan Watts beat Casey Kane on a rip, but the throw wasn't ideal from Quinn Ewers. Once again, if you're a DB, you don't care where the throw was, right? Casey Kane didn't catch the ball. That's a win for Ryan Watts. Terrence Brooks probably had their best rep of the day. They said he clamped Jonte Cook, who we just raved about, right? So hard on a rep that Arch Manning didn't even throw the ball. And shout out Arch Manning for the awareness right there. But it's good to see from Terrence Brooks. I think he has a really good year this year. And then Larry Turner Gooden beat Gunnar Helm on a rep. They said Gunnar Helm ran into Larry Turner Gooden. I don't know what he's got going on. But once again, Gunnar Helm didn't catch the ball. <laughs> That's a win for Larry Turner Gooden. Quick word from FanDuel. And then we're going to get into the defensive side of the ball, position group by position group from the second spring practice, our reaction to every update. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet does not win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and threes made. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. 
from the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So when you talk about the defensive side of the ball, we're going to start with the defensive line, specifically the defensive tackle rotation. And that started off with Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Vernon Broughton, and Alfred Collins. Behind them was A.D. Mitchell, Aaron Bryant, Jare Bledsoe, and Zach Swanson. We mentioned Jare Bledsoe being kind of a tweener at 266, kind of being in that moral Ojemo role, somebody that can play inside and outside. I think he'll get work at both positions throughout spring practice. Byron Murphy was not with the first team or Byron Murphy was not with the defensive line in the first practice. He was back in the second practice, was described as having a good day. There was a drill where Sadir Mitchell was described as having really bad reps and Bo Davis kind of got on him a little bit. They said that Tavondre Sweat went over there and mentored him, got him right. And then he participated in that drill a little bit better moving forward. He's also something we've been hearing about Sadir Mitchell really since winter workouts, but definitely in the first two spring practices is that he needs to continue to work on his conditioning. Now he's very young. He's a true freshman. He's 360 pounds. So I would imagine he needs to work on his conditioning and, you know, that jump from high school to college workouts is a big one, right? You know, very high on Sadir Mitchell. I thought he had the chance to be one of the five most impactful players from this 2023 class, which is saying a lot given the talent it has from top to bottom, especially going to the SEC. You needed a big boy up front like that that can stop to the run and get to the quarterback, that can stop the run and get to the quarterback. So hopefully he gets his conditioning right because I think when he gets on the field, he'll be a beast. But if he does not get his conditioning right, he will not get on the field. In terms of the edge rotation, Pete Kukowski was working with the edges while Bo Davis was working with the D tackles. The D tackles were working on um, the sled and kind of open tackling drills. Um, when you talked about the edges, there was no particular rotation in this practice. We know that Justice Finkley and Baron Surreal started off as your first team in the first spring practice. I expect that to continue to be the case until otherwise noted. But they were just working with the edges in one big rotation. That was Justice Finkley, Colton Bassick, Ethan Burke, Jamon Tapp. Christopher Ross, who's been described as having a great athletic profile, and then Baron Sorrell. So, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian said he wants to improve the pass rush. It has a lot of players to work through at that edge position, and he's not lying because every player I just mentioned can come in and have an impact for this Texas football team this year. Linebacker, the rotation remained the same. Jalen Ford and David Bender, your first rotation, Jet Bush and Mo Blackwell, your second rotation, Leona LaFowl and Anthony Hill behind them, and your third rotation, they continue to look like impact freshmen and right now they're true freshmen you know kind of running around with their heads cut off you know getting so much information I think once they kind of get settled in the game slows down and they can kind of get comfortable on the field to match the athletic profiles they come into the University of Texas with I think you'll see them move up into that second and maybe possibly even that first rotation throughout spring practices defensive backs this is going to be a welcome sight for all of Longhorn Nation they worked on playing the ball. Oh my God. Give them. <laughs> they worked on looking for the ball. Oh my God. That's something we feel like we haven't seen at Texas for a decade, but they were described in the second spring practice as working on that really heavily with Terry Joseph. Um, and they looked good at it. You know, this is something that the Texas defense hasn't done a lot over the years is forced turnovers. It's something that they want to make an emphasis going into this season at the star position. There was a rotation of Jade Beeren, Gavin Holmes, Austin Jordan, and Xavier Bryce. Once again, Jalen Gilbo is rehabbing a knee injury. He suffered last year. Terrence Brooks and Ryan Watts are on the outside with Xavier Bryce and Austin Jordan cross training, working behind them. 
and then Malik Muhammad working behind them as well. Terrence Brooks and Ryan Watts have been great in the first two spring practices. Both have been described as having NFL bodies already. At the safety position, Jalen Catalan in the first spring practice had a green non-contact jersey in his shorts, but was working uh, with the safeties in the viewing session allowed to the media in the second spring practice. He was not with the safeties. He is rehabbing his surgically repaired shoulder. So I'm not sure exactly what his schedule is going to look like for spring practices, when he's going to be out there, when he's going to be rehabbing. But it's clear that their main focus is having him ready for game one against Rice. And we know when he's on the field, this is an all SEC safety. So however they need to manage him to get him to game one and get him through the season, I'm all for it. The rotation without Jalen Catalan was Keaton Crawford and Jaron Thompson. In the first rotation, Larry Turner Gooden and Michael Taft. In the second rotation, B.J. Allen behind them. In the third rotation, I was very high on B.J. Allen coming out of Alito, but with his brother decommitting, him being third in this rotation behind Michael Taft and Larry Turner Gooden, and some of the other things I'm hearing on and off the field, it's not a really good sign right now. I hope he can shake back before it's too late. Now, let's talk about this Texas men's basketball team and preview their game tonight against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. So on January 7th, the Texas played Oklahoma State twice this season, winning both games by double digits. On January 7th, they played Oklahoma State in Stillwater and Texas won that game 56 to 46. Very low scoring game. The teams combined for 31 field goals made. Both teams combined for 31 field goals made. Shot like 31% from the field. So just a lot of bricks right in that game. But Texas made three more field goals and five more free throws than Oklahoma State Cowboys. That was ultimately the difference in that game. Oklahoma State is just not a great offensive team, period. And then in the second game, this was January 24th in the Moody Center. Texas won that game 89, Oklahoma State 75. I love that this Texas team can win, you know, these grinded out defensive games where both teams score under 60. But they can also win these heavy scoring games like we saw against Gonzaga, Oklahoma State, you know, other teams, right? They can win both ways, which will be very beneficial moving forward in the tournament. I mentioned that Oklahoma State is just not a great offensive team. They shot 43% in this game, even scoring 75 points, while Texas had blistering splits of 51-62-85. That is 51% from the floor, 62% from the three-point line. I think they went eight for 13 that game, and then 85% from the free throw line. You can beat anybody in the country when you shoot like that. And they have four players in double figures led by Marcus Carr, with 21 so the line is at six i expect texas to cover that i really think texas beats them by double digits but and this is a big but like a seven foot one but right what's been interesting about both of those games is that musa cisse did not play in either game against texas he was the co-defensive player of the year in the big 12 last year now there were three co-defensive player of the years in the Big 12 last year because the Big 12 decided not to put their foot down and just pick one. So Jonathan Tanya Tachua, uh, Musa Cisse, and then somebody from West Virginia all were co-defensive players of the year. But like I said, Texas has played Oklahoma State twice this year. They have not played against Musa Cisse, who was averaging eight rebounds and two blocks and definitely is a big body presence at 7-1 inside, somebody that provides a lot of rim protection. Now, he doesn't really add anything to the offensive side, as does most of the Oklahoma State team. He only averages like four or five points. But that's still going to change how you run your offense when you have a big rim protector like Musa Cisse down there in the paint. And so it's going to be interesting to see 
how Ronnie Terry runs this offense. And I think Dylan DeSue is going to be one of the most important players in this game because Dylan DeSue has the ability to stretch the floor and bring Musa Cisse away from the paint, right? If Dylan DeSue is knocking down that perimeter shot, Musa Cisse is going to have to travel out there and guard him, right? Which is going to open up the paint for everybody else. I think Marcus Carr is going to have to be really decisive in every game moving forward, right? These are the last however many games of his Texas career, he's going to have to be decisive. No more just coming up the court, dribbling for 20 seconds, and then just handing the ball off to Tyrese Hunter. He needs to be decisive. I'm either making a play for my teammate or I'm making a play for myself. I think that's going to be very beneficial. I think Timmy Allen is going to have to be very good in the mid-range, especially if Musa Cisse is going to be holding down the paint. And then, like I said, Dylan DeSue is going to have to hit shots and try to bring Musa Cisse away from the paint. And if they play him in terms of a drop coverage where he's kind of just covering the rim no matter who he's guarding man to man then like I said Timmy Allen he's gonna have to dominate in that mid-range and Marcus Carr is gonna have to get into that mid-range he's gonna have to hit some shots in that mid-range but also draw in that defense and then hit the you know shooters on the outside Serge Barry Rice Tyrese Hunter Brock Cunningham Arterio Morris whoever it is so not sure how they'll use Musa Cisse but it's definitely going to be an adjustment for the Texas basketball team I could see a scenario where both teams score under 30 points in the first half, especially with Texas not having played since Saturday, right? They're going to be a little rusty. Musa C. Sater, Oklahoma State defensive team, they're going to be a lot better defensively, I should say. But then after that, I think Texas just has too much talent. They're too good offensively. They pull away from Oklahoma State. And it's really just a function of does Texas come out and play well because they're rested or are they rusty because they're rested? And then in terms of Oklahoma State, who just played less than 24 hours ago, Right. But from game time to game time, they went from playing at 830 yesterday to playing at six today. Right. Are they fresh? You know, like because they just played yesterday, are they going to be tired or, you know, does that benefit them? Right. The fact that they're kind of hot. They just won a game less than 24 hours ago. Does that momentum, you know, come into a tough game against Texas? But like I said, the spread is six. I think Texas should win this game by 10 plus. Texas just has too much talent offensively. The Oklahoma State Cowboys cannot score. I think Musa Cisse being back as a defensive present in presence in the paint makes this game more interesting than it would have been without him. But still, I think Texas pulls away in this game and wins by double digits and then gets the winner in the next round ahead of the final between TCU and Kansas State, which will be a really good game. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them and peace.